Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. This is going to be an important one, so let's get going. We're going to be talking today about the Prince of Persia in St. Jerome's commentary on Daniel. And again, we're looking the various teachings on biblical prophecy in the early church fathers. St. Jerome, the biblical scholar above all biblical scholars in the early church. So this is what St. Jerome is talking about in Daniel 10. There's a reference to the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And if you got kids, you probably saw your kids watch some Disney movie by that title. This is not what we're talking about, okay? Uh, Daniel, in starting in chapter 9, realizes that it was coming close to the end of a prophesied period of 70 years of punishment. That was a prophecy given by Jeremiah, and Daniel was aware of that, and as a result, he started one of the greatest prayers in the entire Bible, very humble, very repentant, included himself. He didn't cast stones on other people sinning. We have done this. We have done that. We have not listened, and asking God for mercy and restoration and renewal, and then the angel uh, Gabriel comes to assist Daniel in understanding God's plan for his people. And we read this in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. You could read over this rather easily if you're just cruising through St. Jerome's commentary on Daniel, which is still in print, thanks to Protestants, not due to Catholics. Catholics have, to my knowledge, have not translated and published this in English, but this is what St. Jerome said on Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Okay, that's from Daniel 10, 13. And Jerome says, in my opinion, this was the angel to whose charge Persia was committed in accordance with what we read in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32.8, and this is what we read in Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High divided the nations and distributed the children of Adam abroad, then he established the bounds of the nations according to the number of the angels of God. And that was the translation in the translation of St. Jerome's commentary. I'm not going to get real complex about this, but there's a whole very difficult uh, school called textual criticism in the study of Scripture, and you compare, contrast, and evaluate the few places in the Bible where you have significant readings that may differ in their meaning and interpretation. And Deuteronomy 32.8 is one of those, the RSV, which I believe is correct, and I'm just going to you know, make a complex subject real quick, where it says, according to the number of the sons of God. And that's the reading of the Septuagint, 
which is the Bible used by St. Paul to evangelize the Roman Empire and everything. But what is so remarkable is that St. Jerome went to immense lengths to learn Hebrew so that he could translate the Hebrew manuscripts into Latin, straight from the Hebrew into Latin. And the fact that he chose the Septuagint reading over the Hebrew reading was kind of an anomaly, so to speak, but it was also very, very common knowledge. What is this talking about? And just to give you a a quick update, episodes 167 of Luke 21 Radio, um, well, Luke, that that one will get you going. We've done this before because sons of God appeared in that critical prophetic passage in Genesis 6. When we read the sons of God went into the children of men, and we went through the whole debate on that, the sons of God were divine beings who transgressed the natural order between spiritual beings and human women and produced giant offsprings. And Jerome is basically saying that what happened after the flood The nations rebelled again against God, and we read the Tower of Babel, and following Tower of Babel, God in punishment disperses the nations and sets over them these spiritual beings who either at that point or a subsequent point rebelled against God, so they're having a bad influence on human civilization, human cultures, and Then the next chapter after that, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to start doing something entirely different. Kind of a, um, oh, you know how you, like you go to a a store and your food is laden with all kinds of junk chemicals and, and GMOs and all that, and you want something free of all that? Well, that's Genesis 12. God's wanting to start over with the human race, so to speak, in Genesis 12 with Abraham, and then he's eventually going to spread that to the whole human race. That's the whole Bible, by the way. So what we're talking about is what I mentioned that Michael Heiser, who I uh, basically delved into rather heavily when we studied Genesis 6, Heiser said Deuteronomy 32 verses 8 through 9 is fundamental for understanding the worldview of Old Testament Israel. At Babel, Yahweh, like a father dismissing and disinheriting his children, judges all the nations for their disobedience in Genesis 11. So in the next chapter, he calls Abraham, effectively starting over and creating an earthly human family for himself. And basically what I'm driving at is that St. Jerome and Michael Heiser are basically on the same page. And it's interesting Why would Heiser get this is because Heiser specialized in these ancient Semitic languages. He not only knew Hebrew and Aramaic, but, you know, Heiser could read these Babylonian writings and all this other stuff. And where Genesis condemned the sons of God as being evil, 
these Babylonians, for instance, boasted. These were their gods. They worshiped them. They taught them all kinds of uh, advanced technology, uh, building skills, warfare, instruments for warfare, and arts of seduction to women. And that's how the Babylonian culture went its way. It was due to these influences. You can read about these things in an early document just centuries, a couple centuries before Christ called First Enoch. But these are some others besides Michael Heiser and St. Rome, in case this is new. People don't talk about this too much. But if you want to know what's going on in the world, you have to know uh, that this is what has happened through world history. Sirach chapter 17 and verse 17, quote, he appointed a ruler for every nation, but Israel is the Lord's own portion, unquote, right to the point. This is from Philo of Alexandria. He was a Jewish philosopher who lived in Alexandria. He said this, God sent boundaries of nations according to the number of the angels of God or the sons of God, and the portion of the Lord became his people, Jacob, his inheritance, Israel. This is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, and verse 26. And he made from one every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. This is something you may not have heard. This is from Clement of Alexandria. He said, this is he who bestows on the Greeks also their philosophy through the inferior angels. For by ancient and divine ordinance, angels are assigned to different nations. And basically he's saying, well, were the Greeks, they just have higher IQs than everybody else in the ancient world? No, they got it from somewhere. And Clement of Alexandria is saying these spiritual beings, rebellious to God, ruling over the nations, this is where they got some of their philosophy. You think, you've got to be kidding. That's not true. I've never heard that in philosophy class. Well, listen to Plato. This is what Plato said. In the days of old, the gods, see, the Greeks worship these beings, and the ancients worship these beings. This is why they're so condemned in, in the scriptures. In the days of old, the gods had the whole earth distributed among them by allotment. He recognizes clearly that there are spiritual beings over the world. Now, when Jesus came, he basically stuffed the spiritual rulers over the nations in a place called the abyss, the bottomless pit, and locked them there. And we read in the book of Revelation just prior to the second coming of Christ, these same national cultural leaders influencing all of life amongst those who have turned from Christ or don't know Christ, they will be released again to deceive the nations. This is what it says in Revelation 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven fall to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. In Greek, it's talking about the abyss. 
and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, the abyss, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Now, depending on whenever you think the shaft might be open, I believe that Revelation 9 is actually history at this point. It is has happened. Uh, listen to Pope St. Paul VI, who spoke this or wrote this in June of 1972. We would say that through some mysterious crack, the smoke of Satan has entered the church of God. There is doubt, uncertainty, problems, unrest, dissatisfaction, confusion. And you see, the darkness embeds itself in cultures. The ancient world worshiped these divine fallen beings as gods. And Israel started doing this too, and that's why they were led into captivity and judged by God. There's only one true God amongst all the spiritual beings in the universe. And when Jesus says, watch and pray, the darkness is so subtle, so comprehensive, that you don't see that you're living in darkness. And this goes right back to what St. Jerome was talking about. The prince of Persia could be out of the abyss. I believe he's out of the abyss. And if I'm wrong, there will be a time coming when he will be out of the abyss. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 260 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.